There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plushcare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. We are saying as long as there is breath in our bodies, we will not forget you. If we don't deal with this issue now, the problem will get bigger. The lack of empathy. These women need to get over themselves. We're the one for Cork and ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The lines are live. Let's kickstart the conversation. This is The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Okay. We finished the show on Friday with the words of Dr. Mike Ryan of the World Health Organization, which we thought were sensible, calm words at a time when the world was losing its mind over the news coming out of Botswana and the other African nations. Here's what Dr. Ryan was saying on Friday afternoon. We have not fully assessed any threat or risk associated with this variation, that remains to be seen and the studies need to be done. So I just caution everyone to be, you know, this happens, viruses evolve and we pick up variations. It's not the end of the world. The sky is not falling in because there is this idea that we're just waiting for the next variant. And, and I don't want people to spend their lives worrying about that every day. It's not. Scientists need to worry about that. <laughs> and we need to characterize those risks. And you need to trust that we will tell you if there's a significant change in risk. Uh, and then to rely, as I said, on the superb network of genomic surveillance in South Africa and the institutions that, that make up that network. Now, within hours of Dr. Ryan making those comments, the Omicron virus, our variant, had been formally named and designated as a variant of concern by his colleagues at the World Health Organization. But still, the message all over the weekend has been, please do not panic. Please do not panic because we actually do not know a lot about this just yet. And there may not be any cause for panic. I'm joined by a very regular guest on the opinion line over the last uh, year and a half, and that is Professor Jack Lambert of the UCD School of Medicine. That calm approach, Jack, seems to be still the way to go. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, And I would agree it is the way to go, but everything I've seen so far has not been calm. It's been panic, you know, with, 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 you know, everybody once again, you know, kind of a media frenzy of fear. Uh, the vaccines don't work. 
banning international travel. So, so I think the response has been one of panic rather than one of calm. In terms of the international travel, a comment that I heard at the weekend was, well, if we had done this when we first heard about Delta, we wouldn't have had the ravages of Delta. So here's what we should have done back in the time of Delta. Would you agree? No, absolutely no way. Uh, you know, I mean, I mean, COVID is very infectious. You know, we know this from before. Um, the very as soon as soon as you know, back in the first wave, as soon as the uh, first virus got out of China, it was in 15 different countries in the European Union. Just a couple of cases. The WHO said it wasn't a pandemic because there was no evidence it was going to spread. But then, and then a few weeks, it had spread all over Italy, everywhere. So you, once it's in a country. You know, what you have to do is accept the fact that, that COVID is going to spread and use all the COVID mitigation strategies you have to minimize the spread. Um, you know, we're not going to change. We had, we had the first wave, then we had the UK, you know, B117, then we had the Delta, then the Delta Plus, and now we've got Omicron. The viruses mutate. They're going to continue to mutate. We have to learn to deal with it calmly. So what do you know about it Professor, that you didn't know Friday. What have you managed to learn over the weekend? Well, it, it's you know it, the the idea that we can close down the country to prevent it from coming is is a joke because it's already been reported in you know Israel, uh, you know uh, you know and UK, uh, Belgium, uh, a number of different European countries. So so closing down closing down the country will not eliminate the virus from entering the countries it's already here um so that's number one and then number two uh you know we have learned that it probably has mutated more than other viruses so it's it's going to escape some some of the vaccine efficacy so like a, like i said they, they reported in the first wave that the vaccines were 95 percent efficacious it may drop the efficaciousness of these vaccines down to 70 percent and then finally, there's just reports from South Africa over the weekend that it appears that this strain may be uh, more, you know, survival of the fittest. It may be, ta- it may be taking over uh, from the Delta variant, just like Delta variant took over from the UK variant. So this is, this, this is, this is the way viruses work. So um, it's concerning, um, but we have to deal with it. The, the one thing, of course, that we will want to know and every expert that I've heard talking on the radio over the weekend has said look it's going to take us a week or two at least to know this is does it make people sicker it'll take a while for us to know that it'll it'll take months to know that because you know you'll need to have like it it spreads you'll have to have patients in the hospital and then there's a period of 14 days from the the hospital um but 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 there's no evidence i mean that's always that's that's theoretically a possibility but i don't think any of the the new strains of of covid have been remarkably more pathogenic Mm. they just have be, be they've just become progressively more infectious you know the first wave one person would infect two now it seems like one person you know so contagious can infect 10 people you know so it just it just is more infectious which means it transmits more which means we have to be even more care- careful in terms of our you know all of the pre- prevention strategies we have we we can't let our guard down we have to double our guard rather than you know let it down which we were starting to do back in the autumn with the promise that once we vaccinated 90% of the population we'd be able to throw away all covid prevention strategies that was a, that was a bad message and now with the new 
more infectious virus coming along, we have to up the ante in terms of COVID prevention. Yeah. What there is in South Africa is a very large population of young people, and it would appear that most of the cases currently identified have been in younger people, which I suppose makes it very hard to gauge the effect it'll have on the elderly and the most vulnerable. Would you accept that? Well, no. These young people live with the elderly, and this is this. I mean, this is what's happened in Ireland. You know, over the over the autumn, all these young children were getting infected. Doesn't matter if they were getting infected in schools or infected in, in the community. They were going home, and they were infecting older people in the community in Dublin, who either hadn't been vaccinated or whose vaccines had worn off because, you know, some of them received the vaccine back in January, February, March. So kids are a source of transmission. If they're unvaccinated, they're highly contagious, they're, they're circulating in the community and they're spreading the virus to those who are going to end up in the hospital. So, so I, I think you have to take it seriously at all levels, it's, you know, that, that, you know, that it's just not younger kids getting infected and there's nothing to be concerned about. There's huge implications from a large population of young people spreading the virus. On that question of young people and the virus, Professor, Quite a lot of commentary as well over the weekend of how, when I use the term with inverted commas around it, unfair it is to curtail children's activities four weeks to Christmas. Is it unfair or is it necessary? Well, well, I, I, I think since they're unvaccinated, I, you know, I, I think we have to do something. We can't just let kids go on school on buses, you know, uh, you know, uh, without masks. We can't let them just go around. In, into you know public public settings without masks because they're the highest transmissible population at the present time so so we do have to take additional precautions and i'm i'm not the one to say what those precautions are but it's i do i do think we have to have an additional level of care to target populations who are you know who, who where, where the virus is taking off and and at the present time that is young children so i think we have to we have to think about what we can do uh, without sacrificing, you know, human rights and, uh, all, all, you know, and, and we do need to be fair, but, but we do need to be safe. Professor, in terms of, like, I, I'm sure that people like yourself are sick and tired of talking about COVID-19 now because there's a whole lot more to the study of infectious disease than just COVID-19. But maybe a, a general question. Do you know the way things change, Jack, every week, sometimes every day? We've new, we've a new discovery here. We've a new variant there. Is this the normal progression? In your, in your area of expertise, is this the normal progression of a new infectious disease? Yes, it is. It is. You know, I mean, we're all kind of learning as we go. So things do change on a weekly basis and everybody's going to make mistakes, you know, as far as that goes. So, so, so messages coming from government and the scientists are going to change week by weeks as we, you know, as we learn more things. Two years ago, um, you know, I thought that I was hoping that COVID-19 is an animal virus. Animal viruses don't like to live in humans. I was hoping it would just kind of die out over a period of a year as it passed through humans. It didn't like living in humans, but this virus, animal virus, uh, likes to live in humans and it's actually becoming more infectious in humans. So, so that I, I, I was, I was surprised by this because this is not the natural history of 
you know, zoonotic viruses, viruses that live in animals. They usually don't like living in humans. This one loves it. And it's going to continue, I think. We're just going to have to accept the fact that this is going to be with us for a while. We're going to have to treat it like influenza. We're going to have to get booster vaccinations. Mm-hmm. And the government's going to have to be focusing on, let's find the next new booster vaccine that's going to give the best antibody levels and protects most broadly against not just the current but future variants. This is where we should be focusing on, you know, rather than lockdown. This, and this is the reality that for the, at least for the vulnerable, we're all getting called, well, I've been called now for my booster and I'm, I'm grateful to get it, but we're, we're going to be going for boosters at least annually for the next number of years to keep us safe. That's correct. And, and, and we also have to understand the message that when you go for your boosters, wear your mask as well, because vaccines don't work 100 percent. It's just part of the solution. We don't throw away the rest of the precautions, um, which was the message that people people were, were being given that once you're vaccinated, you're 100 percent safe. No vaccine works like that in the, in the history of mankind. Flu doesn't work that way. COVID won't work that way. All right. Listen, always a pleasure to have you on the Opinion Line on Cork's 96 Fan. Professor Jack Lambert from the UCD School of Medicine. Staying calm, staying rational, don't panic. He, he believes that the travel restrictions being imposed around the world are a form of, of panic. I don't know whether you agree or disagree with that, but Jack believes that they are a form of panic. Monster Rugby are stuck in South Africa and they will be stuck there for several days more because one member of the travelling party, there's 48 in the travelling party, one member of the travelling party has tested positive. We have been in touch with them to try to secure someone to speak with on the programme so far to no avail. But if we can... We will. Uh, but Monster Rugby stuck in South Africa. I think our golfers got out. Listening to some of the South African doctors and the experts in Botswana who discovered this um, variant and revealed it to the world at the back end of last week, they seem a bit hurt by the fact that the whole world now has turned on on Southern Africa. Uh, but And according to Jack Lambert, look, you are kind of closing the stable door. Because it's here already. We just need to deal with it. Thank you, Professor Lambert. 1850-715-996. We have a giveaway all this week. Our friends, Foot Solutions, ran this with us last Christmas. And we had great fun. So it's back again. Do you remember these? Footsteps in the snow, back with us. And our friends at Foot Solutions on the Grand Parade. Tell you more about that during the morning. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie we're back to the music. The Quartz 96FM music panel gives you the power to pick our playlist. Click 96FM.ie now. 96FM.ie now. Take the 10-minute survey and you could win a 100 euro Just Eat voucher. The power to pick what we play. Pick what we play. Let's get down, let's get down to business. Join the Quartz 96FM music panel. Find the link on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Or see 96FM.ie. Kate says, imagine the Munster wives getting the phone call. Come here, can you sort out Christmas? Ah, they'll be livid. The lads were supposed to be down there for a game 
this weekend and another game next weekend. That is the weekend just gone and next weekend. They would usually be back something like Monday, Tuesday week. Whether they'll get back Monday, Tuesday week is anyone's guess. They have one case in the Munster camp out of 48 in the travelling party. One confirmed case. And no, we do not know whether it's Omicron or Delta or what it is. But they are examining them all. And they're, those guys are PCR'd up the wazoo. Like, it's it's every second day they're PCR'd. Um, all travelling parties like that. It has been since the start. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. 1850-715-996. There's a guy um, on Twitter called Louis Wu. He is a data analyst and he based in Galway, but he, he goes through the Health Protection Surveillance Centre data sheets. Like, the figure that you get in the evening on the news, that blue chart that they put up with the number of new cases and the number of people in hospital and the number of people in ICU, that, that's just the headline figure. There are layers and layers and layers and layers of data underneath that and Louis Wu has been analysing them uh, over the weekend he had a particularly good look at where the virus is presently increasing the most and he said the this is based on data from the HPSC up to the 27th of November so the age groups continuing to increase are the under fives and the five to twelve year olds in primary school one in four of all reported cases to the 24th were in the under 15s. And the 15, the 5 to 14 year old age group has had almost 10% of all the cases they've had since the start of the pandemic. So it is rampant in school going children. We knew that anyway. Uh, Seamus O'Connor, uh, of principal of School of Reader, Crosshaven. Seamus, there are changes coming into effect from this morning. What are they? Good morning. Good morning, PJ. How are you? And it is relevant that you talk about Munster Rugby and the professional team there with one positive case and they're not allowed to come back into the country. Now, I know that's a different circumstance, but you can have a situation in schools where you put four or five cases in a small 70 square metre classroom and children are expected to come in and out um, without being tested at all, you know. Um, so I suppose, uh, PJ, to go to your question, um, the antigen testing would come in to, to play today, the 29th. Um, realistically not a lot has changed it's still the same so there's a, the procedure is if a child is positive is tested positive um the informed school um it's then down to depending on as you know in from second class down there's no pod system and from third class up there is a pod system and in general then it's it's it's, it's up to the discretion as such of the principal to to inform either and it's also at the discretion of the parent as to what whether the rest of the class or the pods directly are informed. Um, but under the new guidelines, we have been told that we need to inform the pod if it's one child and if it's more than one child, it's the class. And then at that point, a standard letter is sent out to parents with the school roll number, their name and details, where they contact the HSE line and they um, ask for five antigen tests to be sent out for them. The last time we talked, um, it was about the lack of close contact tracing. Has that come back yeah. or any notion of it coming back? No, it hasn't. And, and PJ, before we, you know, I absolutely, as I've said on every occasion, I have no interest in going back to Zoom learning and online learning. I want to be in school. Yeah. But the biggest weapon that we had in relation to that was the close contact criteria, which, may I say, is in existence in secondary schools today, even though those 
a lot of the, the staff, a lot of the pupils are both mask wearing and vaccinated, whereas in primary schools that isn't the case. So before we ever got to the point where antigen tests, tests, tests etc., needed to be sent out, I do believe bringing back the close contact criteria, which were removed on the 27th of September, should be reinstigated, particularly during this particular period of time. I accept, and we discussed this, PJ, that it is difficult for parents to take two weeks off work and all that, and I accept that. So maybe the time frame and maybe the actual um, process once the children are put out of school could be completely looked at. I, I'd, I'd welcome that. However, it is, you know, under the old criteria, if two or more children in a classroom were positive, the entire class were put out for PCR testing. And I think that is that was a valuable weapon because I know anecdotally, both in this school and in other schools, a number of children who were tested you know, at the will of parents, may I add, are are asymptomatic and, and coming back positive. And that's the danger. That's how the spread is really taking effect. Yeah. Um, one thing they used to huge effect in New Zealand was pop-up testing, where they literally, if yeah. a school had a, had a case, they would bring a van with a testing centre yeah. in the van into the schoolyard. And again, anecdotally, I do believe that has been done in certain schools in, in, in the country where necessary. And, I, and, and in fairness, it's a brilliant uh, initiative and should be welcomed and continued. Look, this time last year, PJ, when I was on with you, our own school, as you know, we had to shut for three days because a number of our staff were positive and, and a lot of the staff were put out of close context. And that's fair enough. But there weren't as many, there definitely was not as many cases each day in, in schools as there is at this point today. And um, I just think that we should look at the measures in relation to the close contact criteria. It's not right that it's in secondary schools and not in primary and preschool environments as well, may I add, to be fair. And parallel to that, the only you know mitigating measure that we have right now is to open the windows in the middle of yes. November. Um, and like last week in particular, it was hugely taxing in every school. The, this, the standard temperature that school classrooms are supposed to be at is 16 degrees. There is no way in this school or in other schools um, that the, the temperature was 16 degrees. And I'm not aware of parents even how aware they are of this issue, but it's 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 a fundamental one. Now, here in our school, we're, we're allowing children to wear coats, whatever they want to wear at this point to keep warm. Mm. Gloves, hats, no big deal. Um, and maybe we need to even do more if we can. But, you know, um, it's difficult when... You know, we had this close contact criteria as well that was in place on the 27th of September. And I, I remember I came on the show to you and saying, look, we on the ground as principals, we saw more cases this September than we saw last September. Mm. And they took away that. And, and, you know, I just think I think that was wrong. And I, I, I can't understand why it won't be reinstigated. Or, or well, well, the, well, the truth is out there, as it were, Seamus, from those figures in the Health Protection Surveillance Centre data. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's screaming at you that the biggest... It really is... It really fact, is you know, the most infectious category in the country now is school-going children. How, how do you feel about the idea of masks on third class up, Seamus? Yeah, I, I think it would be very difficult to do PJ at this point, purely because certain children won't be able to manage it. Um, I think if we inst- inst- introduce this um, w- along with the original measures when schools reopened in September 2020, I think it would have been less contentious at that point. I think everybody would have tried it. Um, you also have a situation where a number of children have had COVID in schools at this point, and are they supposed to wear masks? And if they don't, will they stick out? And look, you, you can see it would be very difficult to manage. Um, I think, you know, actually filtering and clearing the air within the classrooms would possibly be a much better step first. Mm. And when you imagine the amount that would have to be spent to provide masks for every child in the country, you're talking about 700 at primary, th- sorry, 630 at primary level. 
630,000 at primary level. Um, surely if that budget was put towards um, filters, air filters, I mean, that would be a much more beneficial thing. And, and bearing in mind, PJ, I'm, I'm here today. I guarantee you at this time next year, we'll be having this discussion and possibly this time two years' time. So there's no waste. Oh God, I sincerely hope you're wrong, Seamus. I sincerely hope yeah. you're wrong. Yeah, I know, I know. But we have to look ahead. It's, it's the same with the subbing crisis. I mean, we had a subbing crisis last year. It was amplified this year. You know, there has to be some form of forward thinking here do you know if we make a plan it might never come into play and that's a much better yeah. proactive way to look at it rather than being reactive you know I already spoke to one teacher in the last week or 10 days who one principal who, who had to send a class home purely because she didn't have a teacher for them had nothing to do with COVID yeah. she couldn't have a teacher for them yeah. I mean are there schools around Cork that you will know of in that circumstances many yeah. of them there have been not many to this point, but I mean, as you get into the next, especially, you know, windows open and so forth, you know, people will get chills and colds. And, um, you know, even if you're out, you see, it, it's quite difficult because you don't, no teacher wants to come into school and give something to other children. Um, and we are heightened, heightenedly aware of, of the symptoms of COVID because we're, we're going through it each week with the parents and the children and, and ourselves. So there is there is a massive shortage of subbing, um, and it again one of the critical issues that's affecting schools at this point is um, last year during the last academic year we were allowed to bank our, our, our sub hours. In other words, if we had it two days where we didn't have a sub PJ, um, and we had to use an SET, a special a learning support teacher, um, to cover a class for two days, we could use those two days subbing later in the year to bring in someone when the sub was available to work with our with our children who, mm. who, who with special needs who needed extra support. And that hasn't been rolled back on either. So it's it's just disappointing. There were certain initiatives that were in play this time last year that were very strong and very, you know, gave great heart to schools to continue at this time. I, I want to recognise that in fairness in Cork, and again from anecdotal conversations with a lot of colleagues, parents have been hugely supportive of schools up to this point uh, in relation to holding holding children at home who have any form of yeah. symptoms. Yeah. And I know even here in my own school, it's very rare that I've had to send a child home and it could be just, you know, they picked up a stomach bug or something and it just started in the middle of the day. I've been hugely impressed by the support that the school has gotten in my area yeah. and I know that that's echoed throughout the country and that needs to be emphasised. But there should be, um, uh, to go along with the goodwill of parents and, and school communities, there needs to be certain mitigating factors that can be put in place even today. I accept that the, and I welcome the antigen testing initiative, but it's, it does fall short of what's actually needed, and, but that's just in my opinion. Yeah. Well, you're you're there on the cold face, as it were. Your your opinion counts for a great deal. You said that parents are very cooperative. Did I hear that some of them are actually looking to say, how much do these filters cost? We'll buy one. Yeah, and I, I, um, parents, local parent bodies, and parents associations have have. Um, there's two issues. I mean, we've looked at it here in our own school. I suppose sourcing the machines at this point will be difficult because there was a huge surge in the last two weeks of inquiries. And the second thing is, to be fair, PJ, there's a litigation issue around it. And this might sound left of centre, but it is a fact. If the department don't actually issue guidelines to schools on what filters they should or shouldn't purchase or how to use them, you know, schools are slightly vulnerable if something does go wrong in relation to, well, you did something that wasn't advised and why did you do that? And I suppose a lot of schools would have experience of that in relation to other issues, IR issues, HR issues and so forth, you know. So it, realistically, we do need to have formal guidance on the department until we, before we do this. But look, you know, I'm open to correction on that. I had a, just some conversations over the weekend, Seamus, and this is a mad idea, but what I'll put to you, because it comes from a good place, and it's this. How long is the Christmas break? Uh, it's it's approximately 14 days. So it's, from the 23rd uh, of December. 
Yeah, 23rd of December. PJ put me on the spot there. You see, these are the nuts and bolts that I should know for you when I come on. You're all right. People are suggesting that the suggestion I was (laughs) hearing over the weekend was that instead of breaking up on the 23rd, which is the Thursday, that kids just wouldn't go back on Monday the 20th. And instead of going back on the 3rd or 4th of January, they wouldn't go back until the following Monday and make a circuit breaker in the schools. Any talk of that on the ground will work. I, I, look, it's 100% a great idea, um, I suppose. And again, before I welcome that, I would say that, like there's no teacher here in this school. Or in no one, no one's just trusting it. This is what schools. people are yeah. talking about on the ground, you know? Yeah. I mean, if it was possible to introduce an element of a, an informal circuit breaker in schools, it would be huge. And I think, you know, all I can say is that families are trying very hard to keep their children healthy and so forth. And um, I do think that if there was an ex- a slightly elongated period of time where children were out of school, it would create a natural break in relation to movements around and would really help. Look, as I said to you, my wife is a nurse. She's working in an A&E. And um, like what she's, she has seen, you know, children coming in now um, suffering badly from the effects of COVID. And it's kind of hard. I, I'm in a slightly different angle from that, you know, from the rest of the world when I see, when I can hear the stories from my wife. So I, as far as I'm concerned, I would welcome anything that would help to protect the children further, you know. Okay. All right. Leave it there for today. Always good to speak with you. Seamus O'Connor, a principal of Skullvrida in Crosshaven. So there is no formal talk of a, a Christmas circuit breaker. It's just conversational. The school year is due to end on the 23rd of December with children to go back on Wednesday the 5th of January. The idea that people were talking about over the weekend was that they just wouldn't go back uh, that last week so they would finish up on the 18th or something, whatever, the previous Friday and wouldn't go back then until the uh, what? The 7th, 8th, 9th, 10th of January. Give them an extra few days on each end. I don't know how you'd feel about that. No one's talking, no one's planning it. It was just came up in conversation. 1850 715996. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life, and health insurance. CMIG.ie. You guys ready? Watch out, watch out. Drive home weekdays from four on Cork's 96FM. Hey, it's Lorraine. I'm with you every weekday, bringing you four hours of the best music mix. I'll keep you updated on all things Cork traffic and always asking the hard-hitting questions. Gavin, what's it like to sit in the same DeLorean as Marty McFly from Back to the Future? Tiny. Is it? Oh my God, tiny. I couldn't get out. So for that and loads more, I'll talk to you weekdays from four. Big Drive Home with Harvey Norman, sharing the joy this Christmas with great gift ideas across their massive range of TVs, coffee machines, SIM-free phones, and so much more. On Cork's 96FM. Bit of fun for you this week on the programme with our friends at Foot Solutions, because we did this with them last Christmas, and we had great crack with it. A €200 Euro voucher to give away on the show every day this week with Foot Solutions on the Grand Parade, inviting you to give the gift of happiness to your loved ones this Christmas with a Foot Solutions gift card. Free your feet and the rest will follow. I want you to count the footprints in the snow. Okay. I'm going to make it easy today and then I'll make it harder as the week goes by. So we're starting now. From now on, every time I play the footsteps, you need to count them and give me the total at the end of the show. 
I'm going to make it easy for you because they'll have the same number every time. Today now, you just don't know how many number, how many times I'm going to play them. See? So this counts as your first one, all right? Now start keeping count because I will play that again. Start keeping count, I will play that again, but I'm not going to tell you when. And you'll need to tell me at the end of the show how many footsteps in total were played. And the prize for the day is a 200 euro foot solutions gift card. We had great fun with this last year. 1850-715-996. Watching the Choice Show on Friday night. It was full of surprises and full of fun and some tears. And it was just pure, unadulterated joy for two solid hours. They raised a heck of a lot of money. But one of the highlights was the choir. Do you remember the choir? Met them a little bit earlier on. Some of them are total masters, and I love them all the more for it. It's our very own Toy Show Choir, ladies and gentlemen. And one of the members of the choir who I spoke to on Friday as he was on his way up in the bus and he was a bag of nerves was young Coben Cullen. And we caught up again after the show. So Coben, you and I were talking on Friday. You were on the bus on the way up. You were going to be singing in a choir. You had absolutely no idea what was going to happen next, had you? No, I didn't have a clue. How did the day go? When did you find out? I found out because Ryan said when we were doing the original rehearsals, he said that he wouldn't be singing with us. Then um, we were all like, what? I was about to walk out of the building because I didn't know the second verse and he was supposed to sing the second verse. And then Jamie, my friend next to me, he goes um, that he heard one of the people out of the crew said uh, he's not ready yet to rain. And Jamie was like, please don't tell me Ed Sheeran's going to come onto the stage right now. And um, then he got ready. And then um, Ryan just goes, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Ed Sheeran. And he just walks in. Me and Jamie nearly went into heart failure, I swear. This was at the rehearsal? Yeah, this was the rehearsal and everything. Yeah, And then you got to do the introduction on the main show. How did that happen? So originally we were supposed to do Ryan. We were supposed to say Ryan Tuberty, ladies and gentlemen, welcome Ryan Tuberty. But then they changed it since it was Ed Sheeran. So Jamie had to say it. So then Jamie was shocked that he had to say, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Ed Sheeran. I was sitting at home watching. I said to my wife, I said, look, that lad was on with me this morning. And then out comes Ed Sheeran. I said, oh, my God. We still, like, couldn't process it. Well, I couldn't process it. I don't know about Jamie. But, like, we didn't know what was happening. Like, Jamie and me literally didn't know anything. We knew that he was coming anyway yeah. for the rehearsal. 
in the rehearsals, we saw him, but like we still couldn't believe it that he kept on saying, "Am I tripping or is Ed Sheeran in front of me?" And I was like, "I don't know, because I am too." <laughs> I know, I know. What a what a moment! And like your mom was telling me that actually going to be in a choir was a big surprise for you because you auditioned first to do one of your one of your rap songs. Yeah, um, we were supposed. I was supposed to do one of my rap songs. I think I was supposed to write one or else I was supposed to do one that I um, already made before. I don't know what's rap, but then we got surprised of doing a choir. And have you ever been in a choir before? No, I was never in a choir at all before. So in one day, you were never in a choir. You were in a choir. You never met Ed Sheeran. You met Ed Sheeran. Yeah. And you've been on live telly with Ryan Tuberty. Yeah. What age are you, Coben? I'm 11. You're 11. Like, you'll never forget this, will you? I will never forget this. I could never get this out of my memory. I'm still trying to process that I met Ed Sheeran, like. So are you looking forward to going to the gig? Yeah, I can't wait, to be honest. Yeah, did you get to spend any time with him, like, to chat with him off stage or stuff? Not really, but me and Jamie asked him to sign our name tags. So then we got signed name tags, and before that, in the rehearsals... We all got um, signed deep CDs from him. Brilliant. Fantastic. Put me back to mum there for a second. Hello. Hiya, Martina. But you know, it was amazing because we were in the room. Um, we were just in the canteen in, the, in a different building, you know, and um, every, they all just came in, like, you know, and Kobe, or Coben, and Jamie just came in and, like, their eyes were literally popping out of their heads and they were like, it's Ed, it's Ed. And we were like, what? They said it was Ed, it was Ed Sheeran. And I was like, what do you mean? And they said it like, you know, they, we were warned not to text or anything, you know, and, yeah. you know, leave the cat out of the bag. Like, so we were kind of, we all started shaking then, like, you know, so we were like, that's amazing. But like, another thing, when we got to the RT studio yesterday, um, Coben and uh, Jamie, we were sitting together at a table and a girl came over and she said, I've something to tell you. You're going to be playing a game later, and um, we were. I was like a game, you know, and I was like they came up to do a song, you know, and they were kind of like, oh, are they, you know? So we were, like all day. It was just sort of like it was just like it was just amazing because like we didn't know what was going on. We didn't know what time they were doing anything, and it was just. I suppose it was just like Christmas Day in the sense that we didn't know what would be under the tree, you know. But when we got Brilliant, and the worrying was all gone, like, you know. Yeah, coping the game then, sitting down actually, not the mind performing and him coming out on stage, sitting down to play a game with Ed Sheeran. Like, you kind of think this this does, this does day doesn't get any bigger. <laughs> I know. Originally, we're, we were supposed to do Hungry Hungry Hippos, the human version, but then um, there was, Ryan said there was no point of doing it in the rehearsals. So then we changed it to a pencil nose. <laughs> That was the maddest thing I've ever seen on the telly. It was great. <laughs> and it did quite, did quite well. Yeah. How was Ryan like? He was actually a gas man. He's very nice. Yeah. I know that you wanted to thank Music Generation for, for everything. Yeah, like they're the ones who actually like gave me the chance to get the audition and like to help me. To get up there. Because music is what you want to do, isn't it, mate? Yeah. All right. I, do, I love music. 
Well, you made a great impression on Friday night and we were all very proud of you. You take care of yourself now. Thanks. Lovely lad. That's uh, Coben and his mom Martina, who I caught with, caught up with over the weekend. Also in the choir was Keelan O'Malley. There is one of young carers, Ireland. Now Keelan's at school just now, but Ruth, mom is on the phone. Hi, Ruth. Good morning, PJ. How are you? Ah, good. What a day. Oh, I'm listening to the stories there now, and I just have goosebumps and memories are flowing back. It was amazing, absolutely amazing. Describe yeah. which, how you remember it. How, how did the first of all? So I suppose the, we got a call. Yeah. yeah, we got a call two or three weeks ago um, that there was a possibility that Keelan might be able to go on the Late Late Toy Show. And I suppose we were liaising with the family, Carers Ireland, that they, they had recognised five children out of 67,000 young carers around Ireland. Um, it was Keelan, Emily, um, Grania, Alex and Haley, who was mm. the solo performer with Ed Sheeran. Yes. And they um, awarded Keelan a laptop um, because he cares for his uh, brother here at home. He has a twin brother with epilepsy and autism. And he's just amazing with him, amazing. So um, as part of um, that project with Family Carers, they said that the Late Late Toy Show would like to recognise these unsung heroes. And they said, look, we might get the opportunity to go up. So um, maybe a week beforehand, we got an email um, with the date for um, a rehearsal um, last Sunday, um, a Sunday before the show. Mm. And we went up and we told Keenan, look, you know, we practiced the song. We've been emailed. Let's see how it goes. And we may get the opportunity, to be honest. Um, and then when we were up there, we said to Keelan, look, you are going on it because we couldn't possibly tell him beforehand because he wouldn't sleep a wink, you know. <laughs> um, so when we got up there, um, he went in to, to meet the producers and, you know, they were just amazing, real um children orientated people you know they were just full of energy and really you know um connected with the kids Mm -hmm. and we met other groups there as well um and practiced the song and they told us um like they said earlier there that we may have a guest performer and it was going to be ryan tuberty and then um the week went on and we practiced our song and the day came and we travelled up to Dublin um, we arrived in the hotel. We all met at around um, four o'clock um, in the RT studios. Um, one of us only went with Keelan, um, myself and Keelan went in and all our family, my mom, my dad, Ryan, Keelan's sibling and stayed in the hotel with my husband, John and the other family members mm. of the other kids. And we went in and, you know, they welcomed us and it was all um, very COVID aware. We were all sitting at separate tables and, you know, we met the other um, kids of the Family Carers Ireland. And then the kids went in at at around six o'clock to rehearse Mm -hmm. and they were only going to go in for an hour and come back to us again in the canteen in RT Studios. And then there was no sign of them until later on, around eight o'clock, half eight, and they Mm. came back in. And I videoed it, actually. Um, They all ran back in with waving these CDs that were signed by (laughs) Ed Sheeran. Yeah. And we were just 
I, I was so shocked. I had tears in my eyes. Yeah. I Keelan couldn't even talk. <laughs> <laughs> His eyes were popping. He, you know, it was amazing. And then we saw pictures later that evening of them sitting down um, with Ed Sheeran, um, you know, in a photograph on the RT website. And we just couldn't believe it. You know, it was amazing. Mm. Absolutely amazing. Brilliant day. Brilliant day. And it, I... It just seems to be so well put together. It's all centred around the kids. It's a wonderful day. A wonderful day, you know, and I suppose, you know, in the background, the amount of people, you know, that are there weeks before trying to get the kids organised and, you know, to get the best out of the kids. There's a team, an army behind the show. Mm. And when you're up there and you see the buzz up there, um, it's just fantastic. You yeah, know? And I just wanted to say, look, thanks to Family Carers Ireland for recognising yeah. the young carers who are, they are the unsung heroes. You know, they give up a lot out of their day for mm. the people they love. You know, Keelan and Ryan have an, an amazing relationship, but he, he does give up a, a lot of his time with Ryan, you Good know, um, and it was an experience of a lifetime for him. And mm. for once, it was all about those young um, carers and the kids, you know, mm. and they were amazing. And we so, were all very proud and of them. so well deserving of their moment. Ruth, thank you very much. Give our best to Keelan and to Ryan, uh, his twin. We'll hear later from Kayla, who was another one of our Cork uh, representatives on the Toy Show. It was great, just a great show. And I said it before, and I'll say it again, I say it every year. You can like or you can loathe Ryan Tuberty. You can... You can be a fan or you can hate the man. I don't care. But I'll tell you one thing. As regards how he works with children, right now anyway, he's the best in the business. 1850 715 996. Can we just talk? The opinion line on Cork's 96 FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Yeah, I told you about our Foot Solutions giveaway. With them all this week, Foot Solutions on Grand Parade. You're counting the footsteps in the snow I told you about it the first time I'm telling you about it now if it happens again it'll happen without warning in fact when it happens again it'll happen without warning so you've had your first set of footsteps here's your second set of footsteps alright count them keep count of them we'll throw in some more without warning and then at about 5 to 12 we'd ask you how many in all we played <laughs> evil evil some comments on Professor Jack Lambert Professor said there's an issue with unvaccinated children bringing the virus home to older people being vaccinated doesn't prevent people from getting the virus or passing it on so why would he only say it's unvaccinated children who are the potential source the reason is in the official figures from the Health Protection Surveillance Centre. And if you don't believe this, you can look it up, you can find their graphs. 
The age groups that are continuing to increase in caseload are the under fives and particularly the primary school age group. Case numbers continue to increase dramatically, in fact, over the last number of weeks. They are a vast unvaccinated cohort. They're the biggest unvaccinated. You've got the children who presently are not being vaccinated. You have the very tiny number who can't. And then you have the idiots who won't. Uh, But the children are the greatest number who are not presently vaccinated. That's what Jack Lambert was referring to. 1850-715-996. Now, a lot of talk about the children. It's hard for them at the moment. They may have to wear masks in class. They may have to wear masks on the bus, those over the age of nine. And coming up to Christmas, there's doubt over their pantos. There's doubt over their nativity plays. There's doubt over everything that there was doubt over last year. We didn't want to be in this position, but here we are. We talk a lot about resilience in children. What is it exactly? What is resilience in a child? It's a big word and people use it, you know, like as easy as they use rashers and sausages. But what exactly is resilience? Let us bring in Catherine Hallisey, a child psychologist, and ask her that very question. In layman's terms, Catherine, what is resilience? Good morning. Good morning, PJ. I suppose the first thing is to talk about what it's not. You know, sometimes like resilience is this buzzword and you can market anything as long as you say it's going to help kids become more resilient. And people think then that that makes them bulletproof from something bad happening. And look, it really doesn't. It's not about preventing bad things happening. It's about coping when they do, as they do for everyone. So it's really about when something bad happens, it's it's not even the ability to bounce back. It's the ability to bounce forward, to bounce through it. And, you know, when I was first training, you know, we were taught that resilience was something that was inbuilt and just some kids are more resilient than others. And what we now know is it's actually a set of behaviours a set of a way of thinking and it's specific actions that anyone can learn and practice and that anyone listening now can teach to their children. Would you describe it as a skill, Catherine? Oh, it definitely is. And look, it's really, it's like any skill. The more you practice it, the better you get at it. Mm. So so how do we help our children with it then? I think the first thing is being the adult you want your children to become. So if you really want your kids to be resilient and let's face it, I think it's what we all dream for our children. And, you know, so what you need to do is actually start with yourself and see how you can improve your own resilience. And look, the research is really clear. It's all the boring, basic stuff. You know, number one thing, focus, go right back to basics. Focus on your sleep and your kids sleep making sure you're drinking enough water and that they're drinking enough water, you know, eating well, getting outside as much as possible, especially now, you know, we have um, high rates of uh, low mood in the winter because it's dark so early. We're getting out less. So it's really, really, really important to get out as much as possible in the afternoon to get that mid-afternoon light. And we know that that has a positive impact on well-being. Now, what these basics do, they strengthen your ability to adapt to stress. They don't prevent it, Mm -hmm. just that you can adapt and cope. And then it also reduces the toll of things like anxiety. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and then I suppose the other big, big one is prioritizing connection. So right now, I think there's a lot of bad stuff in the news. There's a lot of worry. You spoke in the introduction about masks. I think there's a lot of stress about this. And 
instead of focusing on that, because one of the things I'll be talking about as well is like focusing on what you can control and releasing the rest. Like we can't control what's going to happen with COVID and we can't control what's going to happen in school. But what we can do is really be that cornerstone of connection for our kids. You know, even though they can't, let's say they can't have birthdays, well, what can you do instead? You know, really focus things like the drive-bys one of the children in one of my kids classes last week and um, was in isolation for covid and there was loads of voice notes happy birthday voice notes and it really lifted her spirit That's nice and little videos and stuff yeah yeah look very basic prioritization of connection but this is actually increasing kids resilience mm. One or two things that have come up in the discussions, Catherine, particularly in the last few days with regard to, like you said, masks and wearing masks Mm. now from third class up, which is likely to become a thing soon, and wearing masks on the bus and in a shop from the age of nine. Much of the commentary has been, oh, the psychological damage. Will it damage children? You know, the research isn't clear on this. I try to focus on research. Um, What I will say is there's no research right now to say it's going to damage children. My concern will be around the social and emotional impact. Yeah. You know, so it, it, it does impact communication. Like the weird thing is, right, kids really adapt very well. In, in a lot of ways, they adapt more easily than we adults do. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I think it's bringing up a lot of feelings for parents. It's certainly bringing up fe- feelings for me. Yeah. You know, I wish I could say categorically one way or the other. My my preference is that they they don't have to wear them simply because I don't know. But like the other side of it is kids go through terrible things. And as long as you focus on these basics that I'm talking about here now, you can actually mediate all that, mm. all that stress. Because like even I was saying like the research shows like that base, the basics of sleep, diet, exercise, outside time, it strengthens the ability to adapt to stress. Yeah. So even the stress of having to wear the masks, the stress of having to communicate with masks, if you go right back to basics, you can mediate that. Yeah. How long, how important is it for parents to, to just, have a calm conversation and say look love it's not forever and it's to keep us all safe it's not forever and you promise you can take it home the minute you come out of school I think it's really important you know do your own processing outside of your conversations with your kids so like if you want to rent and rave do it out of their earshot so that then you can be that calm uh, connected presence so that you can focus on helping them cope with any fears or concerns and taking it the long term view as well. So like something that I do with children is thinking about, will this matter in five years time? Yeah. Now, that's very arbitrary for a child, even for a teenager. So what I would say is now let's think back to five years ago. What were you doing then? OK, so you were eight years old. You were learning your multiplication tables and like literally bringing them right back yeah. and saying, what were the things that were worrying you then? Are they still worrying you now? And then say, no, let's jump into the future in five years time. I'm wondering, are these things going to be still worrying you? So you're bringing this idea of um, change is inevitable and that this too shall pass. Yeah. How important is it to teach a child that this too shall pass? Oh, my goodness. I think it's one of the most important things. And it certainly has gotten me personally through loads of tough times. And it's something that I talk to my kids all the time about and the kids who come to my clinic. Um, I teach a whole workshop 
for parents on how to guide their kids through all of these things because they're so simple to talk about. But I didn't say they were easy to do or easy to remember. So like I've actually um, developed this roadmap to resilience and it's just step by step by step for parents so that they know exactly what to do to help their kids become more resilient. Because, you know, at times of stress, it's hard for us to think about the, the right next step too, isn't it? Yeah. You know, you can kind of get bogged down yourself, whereas if you have some simple steps to follow, it's much easier to do it then. Yeah, yeah. Your workshop, How to Raise Resilient Kids, how do people get to take part in that, Catherine? So you can get it on my website. Um, the, it's on super early bird price at the moment. It's 19 euros. It's going up to 29 in December and 39 in January. So if you want to get it at the cheaper price, two things, go to my website, katherinehallacy.com, and you'll see a link in there saying how to raise resilient kids workshop. Or just connect with me on Instagram. It's in my bio. That's probably the easiest way. But just don't get distracted on Instagram when you're looking for it. So you can get the tickets there and it's it's on Zoom. It's in January. I think it's a time, you know, we're all looking for new starts mm. in January. So it's a good time to be doing something like this. And even if you can't make the live workshop, you get the you get the recording. So there's no stress about having to be in a particular right. place at a particular time, which right. is often tricky for parents. Oh, yeah. And, and it's tricky for anyone. And of the online stuff, they don't record it. It's really important to record it and leave it available later. Catherine, lastly, I suppose yeah. we're coming up to just a few weeks left now to Christmas. And because times are not changed as much as we'd like them to have changed from last year, so much is the same and some yeah. is even worse. Children can get angsty. We can all get angsty when we can't do the things mm. that we want to do or we can't have the things that we wanted to have. Uh, you know, Ryan was saying on the toy show on Friday night, just remind the children that, you know, maybe maybe Santa won't be able to get that uh, because of the mm. trucks not being moving and, and that sort of thing. Yeah, We need to prepare children for a little bit of occasional disappointment and sometimes that comes at Christmas. How do you do that? Yeah. Well, I I think a really lovely message for children to get loud and clear is that you give Santa a wish list, but Santa knows you best. Santa will use this for inspiration so even if you're not getting the thing that you really think is right for you, Santa is going to use his infinite wisdom in consultation with your parents to pick out what is the best thing for you right now. And other things that maybe you don't get that you have your heart set on, maybe you can save your pocket money, maybe it can go on your birthday list. Just to really think about that, that this, this isn't your one chance to get things. And I think that's really the magic of Santa. It's about... I, I suppose this playfulness and this fun so even if it's not the exact thing on your list Santa's going to pick something that's going to bring this playfulness and fun into your life and I think that's that's just such a lovely thing for us all right now to have a bit of play and fun and and also promise them we'll have a lovely Christmas no matter what Covid says we'll have a lovely Christmas so, all of us together Totally. And PJ, something that I do is I have an alternative advent calendar and it's just one of those material ones that you hang up. And on each of the days, there's a connection activity in there. 
So anyone who's listening now, it's just really simple. Get 24 of those note cards and write down 24 things. Could be um, different movies you want to watch. So I sit down and I brainstorm the Christmas season bucket list with my kids. And we just come up with lots of different activities. And then I pick some of them and put them on the cards. It's just such a lovely way to take the focus away from things into being and just being together and connecting. And no matter what is going on around you, then at least, you know, you've got something nice to look forward to as family. Okay. All right, Catherine, always a pleasure to speak with you on the opinion line. That's uh, uh, chartered child psychologist Catherine Hallisey, a regular guest with us on the programme. Thank you. 1850 I did think that was lovely Friday night when, when Ryan said, look, you know, maybe Santa won't be able to get that particular toy because the trucks are all over the place and Santa magic can only go so far, do you know? Oh, 1850-715-996. we ever think this time last year that we were preparing for a Christmas with limitations? Did we? I think deep down, we were kind of stupid if we didn't. And, and deep down, there were people telling us, there were people telling us, lads, you're not out of this yet. There's another Christmas in it. Ah, 1850-715-996. Secondary schools do not know who has the virus in the classes. It's a crazy system, says that message. Uh, and Tim, now Tim raises a point. Uh, what The bottom line here is that the reopening of pubs and clubs to late hours a few weeks ago gave COVID a huge boost with the consequent high spread in the younger generation. That is the plain truth. I wonder how you respond to that. The, the pubs are back now to closing at 12, last orders at half 11, and the nightclubs, God bless them, are opening from 7 to 11 or something like, something like that. But Tim's view is that when we reopened to late hours at the jazz weekend and a couple of weekends thereafter, that we gave COVID an opportunity to get a foothold in younger people. And he believes it shouldn't have happened. What do you think? I'd like your thoughts. I'd also like your thoughts on your dream job. Tell me about that next. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie Feels good. We've given away thousands of euros. Thousands of euros. On the Cork's 96FM 10K toy giveaway. You've just won a 500 euro toy shopping spree! Oh my god! Woo! Thank you so much! You're amazing! How are you? Oh my god, you're bringing me up! Oh my god, there is such excitement in your house! Thanks a million! Pauline! You've won it! Yes! We just given away 10k. With Douglas Village Shopping Centre for toys, food, fashion, and lifestyle. 50 years at the heart of the village. Take it on a shake it on a shopping spree. Stay listening for the next big way to win. On Cork's 96 FM. Domestic violence is a topic that comes up on the show many times in the course of any given year. And every time it does. 
invariably we get messages and calls. Please mention that it happens to men too. And we focused on it once or twice, uh, the fact that it does happen to men too. Some television shows have done, particularly actually, and it takes a lot of, it takes a lot of flack, but Fair City did a brilliant, brilliant example of it a number of years ago, of how it does happen to men too. And men don't talk about it for any number of reasons. Different reasons, I guess, to why women don't talk about it. But there is a national organisation supporting men who are the victims of domestic, or as they call it now, intimate partner violence. And their CEO is Katrina Bentley. Hi, Katrina. Good morning to you. Good morning. How are you? Good. And it is something that happens every time we talk about domestic violence. We get the message, please don't forget it happens to men too. How frequent is it? Yeah, um, I suppose that the statistics or the data that we have, it's a little bit old, but one in four women and one in seven men would experience domestic violence during their lifetime. Um, more recent, I suppose, um, stats from the our colleagues over in the UK, the Office of the National Statistics um, in 2020 reported for every three victims, one is male. But regardless of, of, of those stats, I suppose our concern, um, it very much is the under-reporting really of, of domestic violence or, or partner violence as we call it as well we know that a roughly only five percent of men will report to on guard the shia kona and roughly 30 percent of women report to guard the shia kona so we're talking about 95 percent of abuse against violence against men not being reported so i suppose it's wonderful to have these conversations on your airwaves to try and break down that stigma and that shame so we can start having this conversation and give confidence and encouragement to the to the boys and the men to come forward do we know why men don't report or is it obvious Mm -hmm. they feel they won't be believed or they won't or they'll be laughed at Absolutely. So I suppose what, what we hear all the time, on, on both on our helpline and also in, 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 the, in, our, in the appointments um, and in our court, um, with our court accompaniment, is I suppose the stigma and the shame and fear. And number one is not being believed, really, um, that how important it is. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Somebody says to you, that I'm in an abusive relationship, that you turn around and you acknowledge it and you validate them straight away. Don't mock them. Don't belittle them. Don't turn around and say to him, go away. Sure, you're six foot four. She's only five foot. What are you talking about? That's what not to say. So to really try and, and listen, um, because it's very difficult for any person to come forward and, and admit you know, it's a very dark topic and it's very difficult. Um, and there's still a lot of shame around the issue of, of partner violence. Mm. So just, I suppose, you know, just to give, just to encourage and give confidence because unfortunately it's out there. We know it, it, it's at pandemic levels. But really, I suppose what we're trying to do is change the attitudes that trivialise or stereotype abuse against men. Mm. Because sadly, you know, our service supports men from the ages of 18 to 88 Today is Monday. We'll help 25 to 30 men on our helpline alone today. So it's real. It's what's happening behind it. Unfortunately, it is a reality behind the doors. Um, yeah. And I think an important thing to mention as well, it doesn't just obviously help, you know, impact the, the man, the dad, the brother. It's impacting the whole family, the grandparents in particular as well, the children, obviously, as well brothers, sisters, aunts, uncles. So it's, it's really, it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a horrible thing for anyone to, to yeah. experience for the whole family. You mentioned the, the, the big man and the small woman. Mm-hmm. It came up mm-hmm. recently, a uh, portrayal of a case on one of my favourite shows, actually, Casualty on the BBC, where mm-hmm. one of the characters, male characters, Jason, he's a nurse, he is an enormous man. Mm-hmm. And his partner mm-hmm. was a I won't say she was a tiny woman, but she was an average-sized woman. And the violence inflicted upon him. And Mm -hmm. where it came from, Katrina, was his instinct as a man, from being a Mm -hmm. small boy, never Mm -hmm. use your hands on a woman. Mm -hmm. He wouldn't defend himself. No, because men are, are mostly reared or brought up to never strike a woman. So we hear that as well. And we also hear the men, the husbands tell us, well, I love my wife. I would never hurt her. I'd never hit her. So we hear that as well. Um, so, we, yeah, unfortunately, it's uh, it, it, it's out there and it, and it is happening. So yeah. the reports, I suppose... To the point where they won't even I defend think, themselves. Correct, yeah. We have men who have sat in front of us with, with and they've been bitten, they've been scratched, they've been kicked, they've been slapped, they've been stabbed, they've been attacked. They've sat in front of us with stitches on their heads, bruising. You know, so we we see the physical side of it, um, but they won't. That you know, they 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 don't strike back because, you know, I can't I can't do that. And even if they're trying to defend themselves, it's very awkward as well, um, because you know, it's just a very difficult difficult situation. So yeah. I suppose it's it's great to have the conversation that while there is physical abuse and and we see it, it's also the course of control, the invisible stuff uh, side of abuse that. 
that is even more difficult to articulate and to find words for, you know. Yeah. So there's a there's a yeah. an acceptance in society as well, Katrina, these days that if a woman says she has been abused or hurt by a partner, we mm-hmm. accept what she mm-hmm. says and we believe her and we act on that mm-hmm. belief. We don't have mm-hmm. we don't offer men the same courtesy. No, I suppose we're trying to bring down, break down that bias. There is a gender bias out there. It's not just Ireland. It's, it's you know, international that, you know, it's been there for decades. Um, and I suppose, um, I suppose just the, the numbers that we supported last year was roughly five and a half thousand. And this year we're going to jump 32% to about 8,000. So that just shows you that we are breaking down that bias. Mm. And and the likes of, you mentioned there, the, the Fair City programme and other TV programmes, they're all breaking down that gender bias. And by by and by doing that, then it's actually encouraging and it's given confidence to the man to turn around and say, maybe to his mate, you know, on the football team or his mate on the rugby team or wherever your mates are, or you contact a helpline, that actually, you know, things at home aren't great. So we are breaking, I think we are starting to break down that, 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 that bias, which is good. great. You know, good, again, good. it's, a, it's your, a positive step forward. Your helpline is 01554 How often is that available? Yeah. Uh, we're now actually we got extra funding for the Christmas season to cover Saturdays and Sundays. So we're Monday to Friday, which is nine to five, and on a Saturday and a Sunday we're ten until two. Okay, oh one five five four three eight one one. Did the pandemic bring an an increase, Katrina? Um, it brought an increase in terms of um, demand on our helpline. Absolutely. Um, straight away last year, I think we saw demand in in the mental health services um, supports needed. Suicide ideation, unfortunately for us, um, struck very quickly in March and April. Um, and because there's only really one crisis line for, for um, mental health, um, immediate crisis line available, we kind of have become, I suppose, the second phone call for some of the men. So um, definitely, yes. Um, but the abuse would have been in the house already, in the household or within the relationship already. The abuse was most likely there already. Just obviously when we're, we're put under a roof with somebody 24-7 and there's homeschooling and there's children and there might be elderly parents. And, and everything that COVID brought to, to so many homes is very challenging. But if you're in an abusive, toxic relationship, you know, that's a pressure cooker. So um, I suppose it brought it to the fore. And then there's been great support from the Department of Justice and Angarda Siakona to get the campaigns out there on the TV to say, you know, the services are still here. But the, 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 the abuse would have been there, PJ, you know, it's just, just brought it to the top, really. OK. A pleasure to speak with you on the opinion line and good luck with your ongoing work. Katrina Bentley, she's the chief executive of Men's Aid. Their website is www.mensaid.ie and that helpline, 9 to 5, Monday to Friday, 10 to 2, Saturday and Sunday, 01 5543811. Here's what you do. If you're listening at work right now or listening wherever and you know a guy who you think might be getting it at home, write that number down and just give it to him. Just pass it to him and tell him, ring it. 01 1850 Few things happening as regards uh, Omicron. Uh, we, we now are fairly sure it is here. And we're fairly sure it is already here. Minister Stephen Donnelly has been talking about it this morning. Can we just talk? The 
Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Access all areas on Cork's 96FM. Your guide to nightlife on Leaside. Hi, it's Michael here with an update on Cork's entertainment. Peruvian artist Daniela Oritz's exhibition, currently running at Sirius Art Centre in Cove, features works concerned with patriarchal attitudes and practices, both historical and contemporary. It's running until February at Sirius, with admission to the public free. Access all areas. Corcadorco Theatre Company presents the premiere of Aidan O'Donoghue's new play, Hail to the Great Wave. It's a dark, sweet comedy running at the Triscoll until Saturday night. Access all areas. Feel free to let us know at Access All Areas if you have a show, play, exhibition, or any live streaming events coming up by emailing us here at aaa at 96fm.ie. Access all areas. Your guide to nightlife on the side. On Cork's 96FM. Stephen Donnelly has been speaking uh, this morning about what's going on with regard to COVID. You know there were meetings and we'll probably have a full cabinet meeting tomorrow. Neffet is meeting the three coalition leaders today. Uh, Jack Lambert, and I can't stress it enough uh, that Jack Lambert has been saying, please don't panic. Please don't panic. In fact, Fergal, if you could, which you might be able to do, could you possibly grab me a minute of Dr. Lambert and we might play it again a couple of times for people before we finish today. If you have an opportunity, thanks. Uh, So, Stephen Donnelly has been saying there's quite a number of tests going on at the moment that have found what they call the missing S gene. There's a, a genetic difference in this Omicron virus. It's, they're calling it the S gene missing for simple, just a simple explanation. And they found that. They found that in a number of tests that they've done, which leading to the assumption that there may be Omicron, that there, are, that there is Omicron here already. He is also saying that at the moment, visiting Santa will be okay. All right, that's for the kids in the run-up to Christmas. Visiting Santa will be okay. What I am hearing is that a lot of the Santa grottos are insisting that the mums and dads have the vaccine cert for themselves and that any child over 12 who happens to be coming along has to have the vaccine cert too. I think most places are insisting upon that. For both of the smallies who aren't vaccinated yet, yes, they can go to see Santa. That's okay. Here's the best bit. Um, I don't know, are we misinterpreting what he's after saying or has Stephen Donnelly done a Stephen Donnelly on us again? He said, pantos are okay. Pantos can go ahead. Thanks, Peter Jason. Pantos can go ahead. But the government is, government is advising that children don't go. What? Hang on. Let's put that out in one, words of one syllable. Pantos can go ahead. Okay, that's grand. But the government is advising that children don't go. But sure, isn't it for the children? Mags is saying it's the 29th November. Can we not have an old Christmas song to cheer us up? Plenty Christmas songs coming in December, Mags. I promise, I promise. And of course, 96 Miss is on, on the app. For after the show, of course. 1850-715-996. So... We've talked on the programme more than once about perimenopause. This is where menopause is kind of about to start. 
and warning that it might start soon or starts way too early and how you can cope with that and mind yourself as it as it approaches and the fact that it can start showing up in your mid-30s sometimes, certainly in your early 40s. Now, Katrina Courtney is from Elevate Nutrition uh, and joins me. Hi, Katrina. Hi, PJ. How are you this morning? Good. We used to think that menopause and perimenopause were conditions of the older woman, but they're not. They, they can start no. showing up in your late 30s. Yeah, late 30s. I mean, I suppose any time from then onwards, it can be up to 10 years. Um, but saying that, I mean, I suppose the average where we see most of the kind of main fluctuations are from about age 45 onwards. I suppose the average age of menopause is about 51. Um, so, but yeah, you can get them much earlier. And I suppose if you do go story that you have to be really conscious of bone and heart health and all of those things as well um so yeah but it's just all the symptoms in the perimenopause that are really i suppose those fluctuations and the hormones and uh yeah it's can be a daily job trying to deal with them so yeah that mm. your body Hello? begins to remind you doesn't it that this may be happening maybe about to happen yeah yeah, yeah. And it can turn up in ways that we don't really often recognize, like a lot of, say, aches and pains and joint pains. And if you're exercising, poor recovery, those sort of things that we really wouldn't have paid much attention to before. And we probably would have get, gotten away with things in our, say, 20s and 30s. And we feel now, oh, gosh, am I is it aging or is it perimenopause? But we, I suppose we do know like estrogen does have an effect on the joints and on the muscles and estrogen actually causes like increases in the collagen that actually helps uh, in our joints, all that stuff that keeps our body nice and supple and all that sort of thing. Um, so when we're in that perimenopause stage, we do see um, those changes mm. in either our joints and ligaments where we can feel stiffer or they may be more lax. And these are where we might get more injuries or more aches and pains. And unfortunately for women, it can be, you know, a kind of a perfect storm, sleep problems, and then they're getting lots of aches and pains and can turn people off things like their nutrition and their exercise and all of these things, which are really important at this kind of changing time in our life. You know, there's, mm. I suppose, aging happening and there is also perimenopause happening. So we have to take those into consideration. Because um, so many women look after themselves so well now, exercise, fitness and good lifestyle, good nutrition is yeah. very important yeah. to many, many women. And at some stage they begin to, hang on a second, I'm not recovering as well as I did a few months ago. Before, yeah. What's wrong and like, with the me? The thing is, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, you know, there is an aging factor in there. We are losing muscle mass at about 2 to 3% from about the age of 40. And collagen as well, which is a big part of our joints and ligaments, is at about 1%. So we have kind of a natural loss anyway. But we do respond to training and exercise but maybe not as much to some of the nutrients for example protein so we actually get a bit more of resistance to protein and protein is one of those building blocks in our body and so we actually need to be eating more of that kind of building block pro protein for our recovery and for our muscles and joints and all of those and like I always kind of say you know even between a 25 year old and a 75 year old in the gym the 75 year old will actually 
double the amount of protein as a 25-year-old. So it's like the, the, our grandparents should be getting the whey protein powder rather than the 25-year-olds. Mm. But um, So yeah, it's really important to focus in on kind of nutrients like protein. And it's not having excess, it's having the optimum amount. Um, and those things like having it close to our post-exercise and having a time within there, having enough post-exercise with your carbohydrates, eating it at every meal, um, maybe an extra meal or pre-sleep um, uh, protein as well. Really important uh, just to have adequate. So we're supplying all those kind of building blocks within our body. Also great for our bone health as well mm. and our muscle health, but also for our joints. Mm. And things even like vitamin C is a really important one as well for you know uh, consuming th- that kind of nutrient that aids in the kind of production of, say, collagen, um, which would help with our joints. So that's Explain very easy to get. what collagen is. It's, it's fruit what, and vegetables. what is collagen in terms of a... So it's basically... So collagen, most of it is either in our, it's all over between our skin and it makes up about 30% of the total uh, protein in our body. So it's in our skin and our hair, in our ligaments and in our joints. And it's basically a protein structure and it's, uh, you know, it's quite a a firm structure as well, collagen. And you you will get it as well from your diet. So we get it from like meat and fish um, and egg whites, all of those are really really good sources of collagen from our diet but in the body it's 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 uh it's really just that structure that gives us that structure that it's kind of the shock shock absorber it's the helps with the the elasticity um the stiffness and laxity and all of those sort of things in our joints so yeah it is decreasing so we do want to optimize um you know the nutrients that are coming into our body that will help with say the production of it so this is where like having a good amount of the protein in there vitamin c like i mentioned very easy to get uh, you know say from even kiwis and red peppers and tomatoes mm. copper and zinc are other ones as well like your leafy green vegetables and all of those give the stability and structure to collagen and and you know help to promote it as well you know that sort of thing so um so it's an, a really important um you're, I eating, you're kind of eating for your age uh, in a way aren't you yeah, you are. Yeah, yeah. And you just want to feel better. I mean, I talk to so many women and they give up a lot of exercise because of these extra aches or pains or they won't do a certain type like a, like a high intensity exercise because they feel as if it's taking them a week to recover after it so this is where our nutrition around our exercise we need to be exercising but we need to be really focusing around our nutrition as well before during and after and and then like we're also including all those nutrients as well for our heart and for our bone health again during perimenopause they they are things that we really need to be focusing in on um and like i said like you said it's for age frailty, reducing frailty, all of those sort of things as we go on in life. We do have a certain resistance, natural resistance and aging, but we can do a lot with our nutrition and exercise. Okay. All right. Listen, thank you for that. That's Katrina Courtney from Elevate Nutrition. You'll find her on Instagram. A lot of good Instagram posts on changes in our body and the things that you can eat basically, um, eating for your age, eating for your changing body. Uh, elevate, A-L-E-V-8, number eight, Nutrition Isle.
IRL. You'll find her on Instagram. Thanks, Katrina. 1850-715-996. Right, I did ask Fergal to find me a clip of Jack Lambert about how we need to remain calm and how we need to not panic, even though I see it now flashed up on telly, there are cases in Scotland now. And we believe there are cases here. That's going to happen. We're going to get those kind of announcements coming from all over the world. But Jack Lambert's advice to us this morning, Professor Lambert, was please don't panic. The new strains of of COVID have been remarkably more pathogenic. Mm. They've just become progressively more infectious. You know, the first wave, one person would infect two. Now it seems like one person, you know, is so contagious can infect 10 people. You know, so it just just is more infectious, which means it transmits more, which means we have to be even more careful in terms of our, you know, all of the pre- prevention strategies we have we we can't let our guard down we have to double our guard rather than you know let it down which we were starting to do back in the autumn with the promise that once we vaccinated 90% of the population we'd be able to throw away all covid prevention strategies that was a, that was a bad message and now with the new more infectious virus coming along we have to up the ante in terms of covid prevention keep doing what you were doing just do it better and do it more, says Jack Lambert. Thank you for that. 1850-715-996. Another one of the youngsters of Cork on the Toy Show on Friday night was young Kayla. My wife's favourite bit is all the ones coming through on the bikes and the tractors and the cars. And that's where Kayla was. Kayla, how did you come to be on the Toy Show? Because you had so much fun. So first I had to send in an audition video on the website. Yeah. So then they chose like 50 people out of it to go up to Dublin for the actual like in-person auditions. Yeah. And then they chose out of those 50 people, 25 to actually go on to the show. So how long was all this going on for? You were working on it for weeks. Um. Yeah, about three months. Did you have to keep it all secret? Um, no. Would have been really hard. Yeah. So, tell me about the day. Um, so, first we had to, like, drive a really long drive up to Dublin. Mm. And we got there and we were just practicing how we're going to do it. Mm. So, um, they were just telling us on how we're going to enter the stage and stuff. So, that ended at around, like, three or four. So then once we finished that, we went back to the hotel for like until it was like 11. So then at 11, we went back and we were in the room watching the toy show until it came up to our turn. So when it came up to our turn, we all got lined up and we were backstage. And after the break, then we went around and we all went around one by one. Right, right. How exciting was it to be live on the telly? It was really exciting, but also a bit nerve-wracking. Yeah. Like all them cameras around, you can't avoid them. You can't ignore them, like. Yeah, they're just everywhere. <laughs> What's Ryan like? Um, he's just like how I expected him to be. Hmm. Would you like to do it again sometime? I would. Yeah, I would. Yeah. I think I felt, like, proud and stuff that I did it and that, like, I didn't fall off. Because if I fell, it'd be like, just really bad. <laughs> Had you time to practice? Yeah, they said we were going to do loads of practicing, but we did like two practices. 
Well, you did great, and we were all very proud of you. Put me on to your mum for a second. Hi. Maeve, what a special day. What a spe- what, what's, what's the whole atmosphere like? It's really special, I'd say. Oh, it was electric after the whole atmosphere was uh, very Christmassy. And yeah. as I said to one of the one of the girls working up there, I said, it's like Christmas has arrived today. Yeah. Yeah, it was very, very exciting. Very Christmassy. Yeah, she really enjoyed herself. Oh, she absolutely loved it. She loved it. A bit nervous, but she held up. She was good. That's a story you can tell on her wedding day. Oh, that's it. Her claim to fame. Her five minutes of fame. <laughs> Definitely. Maeve and Kenneth, thanks very much for being with me. Bye-bye now. Brilliant, and thanks a million for having us on. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. I never did the ideal job thing. Uh, we might actually hold on to that one for tomorrow, Fiona, because we're kind of busy, as you know. <laughs> um, we'll hold on to it for tomorrow because there's a survey on what your ideal job is. What would be the conditions of work for your ideal job? And you'd be amazed. It's not all about huge money uh, or huge conditions. It's your ideal job. What would it be? Have a think about it. We'll have some fun with it tomorrow. Uh, 1850-715-996. PJ, did you not get your ticket to the Basic Instinct Panto? There's a Basic Instinct Panto? Oh. (laughs) Oh. Stop it. Behave yourself. Uh, And then on the vaccinations and what Dr. Lambert was saying about the young children, they being the most contagious cohort at the moment because they're the unvaccinated. They're the most unvaccinated cohort. And those figures are backed up by the Health Protection Surveillance Centre, which has been telling us in the week leading up to the 24th The under-15s were now one in four of all reported cases. And the under-5s and the 5 to 12s are the two biggest increasing cohorts in terms of new cases over the last number of weeks because they're the biggest unvaccinated group in the country. And I was kind of saying, right, they're the biggest unvaccinated group. They can do nothing about that right now. Then you have the people, the very tiny cohort of people who cannot be vaccinated. And then you have the idiots. Um, And anyone who is resisting and saying, I'm not getting vaccinated because I don't want to. I class them as not doing their civic duty. I'm sorry, I've said this before. I'm prepared to perish on that rock. Is COVID more contagious after 12 or something? Says one message. I don't know what the hell you're on about. Is COVID more contagious after 12 or something? Just think about that. And then, uh, PJ, please refrain from insulting people on the radio about their choice over vax. Idiots is a bad choice of words, don't you think? Uh, no, I don't think. Actually, I don't think. There you go. 1850 As regards boosters, um, 
We've had a lot of calls from people looking for boosters. Uh, and one caller made a point that people should be aware that the five months are calendar months. So does that mean that if you got your booster in April, you need to wait for May, June, July, August and September? I see. Because uh, I got called for mine. I'm going for mine this week through my GP. But, uh, and I'm... 50-something. As we know. So people are being called and there were booster clinics, but you need to be five months after. Or then again, wasn't it for Johnson & Johnson? Now it's only three months after or something like that. But look, if you're called for a booster, go for a booster. If there's a, an unopened clinic, just go get your booster. Just go get your booster because the evidence is already there that they're helping. And uh, more of that HPSC data would seem to indicate that they are helping. They're certainly helping because case numbers are not... The, yeah, booster doses appear to be showing a reduced, a reduction hospitalization in the older groups. Would seem to be so far. 1850-715-996. We are doing a few books over the next couple of weeks. Um, that you might like to buy somebody for Christmas. Uh, I'm reading a wonderful book at the moment and I'll be talking to Professor Gary Murphy from uh, DCU during the week. His new book is called Hawhey and it's a history of Charlie. And I tell you something, if you thought you knew about Charlie Hawhey, you didn't know the half of it. It's a huge tome of a book, but a really easy one to read. So I'm reading that at the moment. Talk to Gary during the week. And another book that you might like to pick up for somebody is a book called In Fact, An Optimist's Guide to Ireland at 100. It's written by uh, Mark Henry. And I caught up with Mark over the last few days. Mark Henry, most of my friends would say that by nature I'm an optimist. I try to be. But the last year and a half would try the patience of any optimist. Has anyone walked up to you yet with a copy of your book and said, are you on drugs? <laughs> well, I'm waiting for that occasion and it would be a good sign, PJ, because it means I'll have read it. <laughs> uh, so I mean, the, the book is, in fact, it's an optimist guide to Ireland at 100. I think that is the key for me. Look back over the whole century. You don't even have to look back over the whole century. You can look back over it a few decades but this is the point. We're not naturally people to do that. We tend to look at the short term. We tend to look at, you know, the challenges that face us today. But the challenges that face us today are nothing compared to what faced them in the previous generation or the generation before that. I mean, the next year, yeah, it's the 100th birthday of the state. So, you know, 2022 will be here 100 years as an independent nation. 100 years ago, the average lifespan was 57. Now it's 82. I mean, we've literally added a whole generation to our lives in 100 years. I mean, people romanticize a bit, oh, where things better back then, life was simpler. Well, I mean, it was shorter. It was less healthier. It was poorer. Mm. I think it was a lot less fulfilling for people. I mean, particularly women and particularly children. I think we've come a long way. And the last 20 months, well, hey, look like this, I think, just puts that in perspective. Just says, look, just step back a bit from the news for the moment. Just let's look at how we've come on, even in our own lifetimes. We don't have to go back that far. Our own lifetimes. Mm. We have a great story to tell. What is interesting, though, is that we're also 100 years since the last major pandemic. And it has been interesting to compare and contrast modern responses to historical responses. And you're right there in that a lot of the things we're being asked to do in the last 18 months that we go, why are we doing this, is exactly the same thing that got the last one 
under control. Yeah. So there is a certain amount of that there. But go through a half a dozen things. Take health, for example. We live longer. What's quality of life, though, compared to 100 years ago? Or 50 years ago? Well, you know, the Irish consider themselves actually the healthiest people in Europe today. Europe today, when asked uh, most recently, 84% of us said we are very or, or very good health or in good health. Uh, so we have come a long way. Uh, that has, uh, due to a whole range of reasons, sure, medicines have been invented elsewhere, uh, but we now, as I say, live only two years less than the Japanese. Uh, we, we are eating a lot more fruit and veg. We are consuming a lot less alcohol. We are smoking a lot less. Uh, so we are genuinely healthier. We've seen it in heights. So women are now 11 centimetres taller than they were 100 years ago. Uh, men are 12 and a half centimetres taller. So, Do we know why that is? That's an interesting point. Do we know why yeah. that is? It's, it's predominantly nutrition, but it's also because we've eliminated so many of the diseases of 100 years ago. I mean, you know, again, I have a list in the book of the top 20 uh, killers of 100 years ago. We've eliminated most of them. So number one was tuberculosis. I mean, there were things in there, measles, appendicitis made the top 20, uh, diphtheria stuff, we don't even know what it is anymore, whooping cough. Uh, was a top 20 killer. And we've eliminated all these things. Of course, vaccination has been a huge bit of that. Uh, and Ireland has been great at, at taking these, not just in the most recent phase, but over the last uh, the last several decades. And that's why we are now amongst the healthiest in Europe. So we, we've added a, a huge amount in terms of, of uh, health, living longer and living healthier. And, it, it, you know, it's true. In fact, it's even arguably more true of our youth. Uh, the kids today are actually uh, much better in a whole series of ways. So, for example... Uh, think about those who are consuming alcohol. Uh, it's dropped by 20 percentage points in 20 years in terms of teenagers. Think of those who are smoking. Uh, it used to be two-thirds, uh, 20 years ago, two-thirds of teenagers uh, had smoked a cigarette. Now it's down to a third. Even those who are doing cannabis is halved. So actually, kids are choosing healthier things these days. Uh, and that's obviously uh, great for the future as well. But overall, no matter how you look at it, we are choosing to adopt healthier behaviours. Focus on children for a, a second longer, if you will. And I have taken not dozens, hundreds of calls over the years from distressed parents with an unhealthy child waiting to see a doctor, waiting to see a consultant, worried about what's next for my youngster because they have additional educational needs. They would disagree with you, Mark. They would say, no, this is not a great place to be a child with special needs. Yeah, I mean, I think, of course, it is absolutely true that what I'm talking about is, of course, in general terms. And, of course, there is, it doesn't mean that for absolutely everybody things are perfect. I mean, Ireland is not a utopia, of course. I have a whole chapter in the book about how, uh, our challenges as we enter our, our second mm. century. But, you know, you do have to say, but, and again, I, I talked, uh, uh, for example, we talked about uh, special needs and education. You know, you look at 50 years ago, we were completely ignoring children with special needs, ignoring them completely. Mm. I mean, the people had to go to court to establish the right uh, for kids to be educated. The investment that has gone into special needs education over the last 20 years has been absolutely massive. Uh, you know, the, the, we now have 14,000 uh, special needs uh, assistance working in classrooms that wasn't mm. there before, you know, and the amount of kids now that are completing second level education has jumped. I mean, it was it was about eight in ten uh, in the eighties, uh, a little under that. Yeah. Uh, now it's uh, it's way over nine in ten. That's because we are working to bring kids through the education system 
it's not 100% in that example. And likewise, in terms of health, again, our investment in, in health uh, back in the 70s, the government spent about 300 uh, euros in current day's money on each man, woman, child of the country. Mm. Now they're spending three and a half thousand. Now, of course, it doesn't mean there's enough treatments yet to meet everybody and every need. And of course, as we live longer, so we have more ailments and we need more treatments for mm. more things. Mm. Uh, so, you know, so it's, you know, I'm not saying it's utopia, but I think by any means compared to the previous generation who went before us or, or, or our grandparents' time, oh my goodness, it's transformed for the better. Look at housing. Because I, I, I'm sure you wouldn't argue that housing is in a better state than it was, say, 20 years ago. Like when I was growing up, Mark, I'm of a certain age. When I was growing up, if a person needed a house, they got a council house. It didn't take 10 years to get a council house back in the 70s or 80s. You just got one. Yeah, yeah you're absolutely right. There's a lot going on here. I mean, absolutely, housing, I call it out as one of our top 10 challenges. I mean, of course, it is. it's right before us right now. And I mean, to me, the big risk about it is that it'll be, it might damage our social cohesion, our sense of community. Mm. I mean, I call it out as one of the, the four things that is, it talks about, that, sorry, that accounts for why Ireland has done so well. We have, generally speaking, high levels of trust. We don't have a real them versus us uh, problem in this country, or a sense of at least, not, not really. Uh, we are genuinely working together with a good sense of fairness. So income inequality in Ireland has declined over the last 20 years. It was its lowest level on record before COVID. So, you know, we, we have generally put, put a hand out for others and helped them along. And my problem with housing is that, yes, if we don't fix that, well, then there might be a group of our generation coming up and say, well, it is them and us and our generation is not being looked after and the divisiveness is not going to help us uh, mm. move forward and solve those problems as a nation. But even, look, absolutely. I mean, the evidence you have there is that, of course, we can fix this problem. But the population of Ireland has shot up over the last uh, yeah. 20 years. You know, we've had an awful lot of immigration in a very positive way that has driven the economy forward. But that means a lot more people to be housed. And that is the challenge. The demand has, yeah. has shot up, actually. The, the challenge of, of trying to keep social cohesion and, and keep that sort of mehl that we're famous for. There's an old African yeah. saying, the child rejected by the village will burn it down to feel the warmth of the fire. And our youth feel disenfranchised and have felt particularly put upon, say, in the last 18 months. Do, do we have to look going forward at how we look after our youth, our young people? I mean, for sure. I mean, I think there's, there's again, I'll go back to this plenty of positivities. Mm. I mean, youth crime, for example, is halved in the yeah. last, uh, the last uh, 10 years. Teenage pregnancies used to be a huge thing. They're not. I mean, the trend that we basically eliminated um, you know, bar the odd exceptions, of course, or exceptions, but nearly every uh, all the under eighteen teenage pregnancies. You know, so 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 there have been real real improvements. Obviously, education has been a massive improvement. We're educating people to a level we never did before. I mean, when I left school, now it was the late eighties. Uh, one in ten of my class that year went on to third level education. Now I look at the league tables every year, it's back up to seven and ten, eight and ten at the same school now are going into third level. We've, we've, so we've transformed that. So the opportunities that are there for people, the ability for them to contribute uh, has never been greater. But as you say, uh, we absolutely have to make sure that we address their needs, their reasonable expectations of what a country will do for them. Because if we don't, as you say, damage that social cohesion, so that has been one of our strengths. It also might set us off course in terms of our, our, our very stability as a nation. I talk about that as another contributing factor. We've relatively 
stable. Actually, only one of a dozen countries that has been a democracy for our whole hundred years. Yeah. Didn't, of course, uh, get involved in the Second World War, needless to say, that helped. But the point is, uh, we have fairly good, stable institutions of state that have served us well. We've had yeah, a fairly centrist political approach. We haven't had the swings to Labour or Conservative. We haven't had the swings to Republican or Democrats. And that has helped with that cohesiveness. Yeah. And if we don't continue, as you say, to help and look after the next generation, then yeah, that, that is a threat to our future. So I'm absolutely calling that out as one of the things we need to we need to figure a solution to soon as we move into the second century. To call the book an optimist's guide to Ireland at 100 would have been one thing, but you say, in fact, what you're saying to the reader is, no matter what you think, these are the facts. Life is better than it was. The facts are unequivocally there. So in other words, I've called out 100 remarkable achievements for our first 100 years. You can dip into every dimension of Irish life in there. We've touched on so many of them, but you know, Obviously, we've, we've got a, a huge amount to say in terms of our culture. Do you know, we've, uh, our Irish pubs have colonized the globe. We've exported Ireland to the globe. Uh, we've imported, we talked about people who've imported uh, so much. And nearly one in five of us who are living uh, here today wasn't born here. It's actually one of the highest uh, figures in Europe. We used to rely on immigrants sending us, like our immigrants, I should say, sending us money to remittances to support communities all, and families all around uh, the globe. Now it's the other way. We send, spend, they send $1.7 billion uh, from people here in this country out to help out their, their communities back home, wherever they originated from. So, so that's a great transformation. And they, as you say, the book is full of facts that you could dip into to tell a great story about the progress that we've mm-hmm. made. It's the optimist guide. I'm not saying there are problems. Of course, there are challenges. But let's just put a bit of perspective on things. Let's step back from the, the news cycle every now and again and say, wait a minute. Mm. Yeah, not for everybody, but we have come a long way. And the news cycle, I guess, and someone who works in it every day, I know how on top of you it can get, very much so. There's a message here. Step away from it now and again and look at the things that have changed that we might forget have changed. Yeah, you know, PJ, when we were younger, right, you had uh, maybe the six o'clock news, maybe you had the nine o'clock news. If you missed it, you, you didn't hear what went on. Maybe you could pick up three minutes on on the, the top of the hour on radio. Uh, you had to wait for the newspaper to land the next day to find out what else had happened in the world. And that was it. You had to wait another day before you got the next uh, you know, paper. In other words, the access to news was a very different place in our lives. Mm. Nowadays, it's, of course, in the pocket all the time, omnipresent, whether it's on news, or, uh, by which I mean on TV or on radio or uh, of course, on social media, and that that has uh, that does have challenges. But I mean, I talk in the book about some of the reasons why we do find it hard to acknowledge the progress, and we do because we do have a tendency to go towards the negative. It's human beings. It was the ancestor who spotted the danger, who was a, you know who was the one who ran away quickest, who got to tell the tale. So you know, we are attuned more to the negative. I talk about a study, for example, that was done in the states after the. Uh, Boston Marathon terrorist attack. And, yeah. and researchers there found that uh, people who were following it intensively on the news or on social media had higher levels of anxiety than people who knew someone who was there. So people who knew friends or relatives who were present were actually more calm about it because they were, you know, it's about exposure. As you say, we just need to be a bit balanced because if we're not, it leads us to believe there's a lot of bad things happening all the time. And it seems to be a lot more of it nowadays. So it's getting worse. Yeah. Actually, it's not in fact. Lastly, on, on optimism, there are those who would say, Mark, that it's easy to be an optimist when you've got a good job, a nice house, a healthy family. You know, I'm lucky. I have that situation. I hope you have too. It's easy for us to be optimists. 
But a word of hope for those for whom it isn't that easy, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think you're right. But I do think, if I might say, that we overestimate how many people aren't happy with their lives. So, for example, you know, the most recent survey uh, done by Europe showed that 95% of Irish people are fairly or very happy with their lives. Now, you know, of course, we'd all want to win the lottery. You know, we'd all want a lovely pension. We'd love to retire to the Caribbean in the morning, all of that sort of stuff, of course, of course, of course. So we'd love, we'd love all of that. But the point is, on balance, overall, most people are genuinely quite comfortable uh, with their lives. And, uh, you know, equality of opportunity that is available in Ireland today really exceeds that of any previous generation. You know, the, the, by which I simply mean, if you think about uh, the education that people have today, the job opportunities that are there today, it does exceed that of anyone who went before us. When asked in a recent poll, eight in 10 Irish people said that compared to 30 years ago, they felt there was a lot more equality of opportunity in Ireland today. I absolutely think that is the case. And that is the hope that, you know, we aren't a, a huge country that has huge social class issues. People can move. You know, a farmer's son, a farmer's daughter can rise to be the chief executive of a bank. There's not, that is quite possible. This happened all over Ireland. Of course it can. And that's a great thing. And that's a positive thing. And that gives hope. Educate yourself, support the things that have, and nurture the things that have helped got us here. And we do have a healthy future ahead of us. In fact, I conclude the book with a quote that I found uh, in a review of optimism globally, I reviewed 142 countries. And they said, based on the, the evidence they could see, uh, the most optimistic people in the world today appear to be e economically secure, educated young women in Ireland. We've never had more of them. I wish you well with the book, Mark. It's been a great conversation. Yeah, no, listen, appreciate the time, PJ. Thank you. Hey, that's Mark Henry. His book is called In Fact, An Optimist's Guide to Ireland at 100. I wonder, would you agree with him? Is it really a lot better now than it was? He says history and facts tell us that it is a lot better to live in Ireland now than it was 40, 50, 60 years ago. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie Santa Baby For non-stop Christmas hits. Non-stop Christmas hits. My Christmas present for you. Listen to Cork's 96 Miss. Streaming online now. With Bridgestone and Desi's Tires. For real value, service and convenience. Open seven days at four locations with late opening too. Desi'sTires.ie Download our app or see 96FM.ie We had a very nice email from the Land of Wonder down under from Maria about kids and masks and in school. I'll read it for you if I can before the end of the programme. If not, I'll put it into tomorrow. But it contrasts beautifully with some of the nonsense I'm getting for simply stating as a fact that I think it's my, it's my belief that getting vaccinated if you're able is your civic duty and you wouldn't believe some of the nonsense I'm getting for saying that. The beautiful contrast with Maria's email from, from Oz. 1850-715-996. You might or you might not know, because a lot of people don't, but you might or might not know that we have a National Space Centre in Ireland. You possibly do know that. You might or might not know that it's in Middleton, or near Middleton, at a place called Elfordstown. And it's been there since 1984. There's a massive dish there that's 32 metres across. If you live in the area, you can't miss it. I was down there a few years ago, just visiting it and having a look around. I was fascinated by it. 
There's an art project has been happening down there for the last while. Following a, a selection process, a man called Nicholas Lundberg was selected to be their artist in resident to create a piece of art from the sounds of space. Nicholas, fascinating project. Good morning. Good morning, good morning. What have you been doing down there for the yes. last few weeks? Well, I've been like spending a lot of time on research and looking at uh, ways uh, that that uh, is available from here. And then I've also been like uh, had a lot of communication about this space data that I'm receiving. Now there is a lot of data coming in down there. That two thirty-two meter dish picks up a load of stuff. What do you do? (laughs) Sorry. What do you do with what you found? Well, I um, I use them, I put them in software and I uh, will uh, synthesize or I am synthesizing new uh, sounds from this. So you could say that I'm like putting sounds on those WAV files. The WAV files are, uh, are like um, uh, microwaves from the 20, uh, 21 centimeter wavelength. Yeah. And that's like deep space recordings of um, of very distant objects. So it's very exciting to be able to. What, to what, do what this. kind of objects? Satellites, meteors, comets? No, that is that's like distant galaxies and um, stars. And uh, this data is uh, actually used to like look back to the Big Bang to the very start. So it's. It's mind-boggling that uh, I actually have access to this type of data. Fantastic. So you will take the data and convert it into sound and then make sound art from it, is that it? You write yes, music using yes, these yes. sounds? Uh, yeah, it'll be like uh, I will be streaming this, so it'll be like a live uh, sound feel that is coming from this data and there will be interactive elements as well when the audience is on site. So when so is it, it, it going to happen? Yeah. Uh, this weekend. So it starts Friday and it's open Friday, uh, Saturday and Sunday. Yeah, because the Space Centre has a special celebration this weekend and we all go down to take, take a look at it. So, and, and you will, will it be kind of a, do you know, do you, do you, have, uh, do you ever remember the artist Jean-Michel Jarre? Sorry? The musical artist Jean-Michel Jarre, do you remember him? He used to turn electronic <laughs> yeah, yeah, sounds yeah. into music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love, I love his, uh, yeah. his, um, his artwork. Yeah, it but is. it's more of the line of, well, it's, very, it's electronic, of, of course, but it's more, more in a, um, like I say, a freer, freer uh, way of gotcha. talking, uh, gotcha. making. It's, it's, it sounds great. So you've been literally taking all the data, converting it into sound, and then you put together a piece of art based on that. We can see it. Now, is it online or can we visit? Uh, you can visit. Um, and it's, um, I don't have exact like the hours, but it's during daytime. Okay. And um, uh, so, but you have to book uh, tickets beforehand. Okay. Uh, I think they are free, but, you know, yeah. Okay. Well, we'll, 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 find, we'll find out the details of that. But they do have, it's the National Space Centre, Elfordstown, and they are celebrating their 10th birthday this weekend. I like, what, do you, what's the purpose of, do you think that it helps us to, to imagine what there really is going on in space? 
Well, I mean, this data that I'm u uh, use, using, that's, that's the tool they are like trying to find, even find if there are the civilizations in, in the, our universe. So yeah. it's, this is something you can like picture yourself when you're listening to the sound art that I'm showing. So, I mean, keep that in mind. Yeah. So these sounds and also there'll be a, uh, these sounds are coming from uh, something. It's up to us to imagine what they're coming from. Correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and that actually in this data, that's what uh, the scientists look for, like irregularities in this data. And you could have the same approach when you listen to this. That hold on, what can this be? Can this be something? So that's one way you could approach it. Yeah. Do you believe, Nicholas? Mm that there's somebody out there. <laughs> yeah, who knows? Who knows? Yeah. Do you think they also, I also want to say that there'll be a, another exhibition at the same time uh, with a, a youth exhibition. Uh, so, and that's going to be really great as well. So uh, uh, there's like a double value for coming to this exhibition. It'll be a very, very broad... Uh, palette of things to experience yeah, definitely sounds sounds quite fascinating nicholas thank you nicholas lundberg he's an artist in residence has been for a while now for the last few weeks at the national space center creating this artwork based on data from space tr turned into sound like it does sound like something out of star trek but he's doing it uh, it'll be at this weekend you can find details on the national space center's website there in El elfordstown County Cork. 1850-715-996. If you've never heard of Jean-Michel Jarre, look him up. Look him up. <laughs> Thanks for that. Now, Maria is in uh, Australia and uh, sent us an email. I wanted to comment on the kids wearing masks. My daughter is in the equivalent of second class over here and has been wearing a mask to school for a while now. I wasn't thrilled at the idea at first, but honestly, her and her friends have taken it in their stride, and they never complain. They take them off, obviously, to play outside and for eating. We're lucky coming into summer here, so there's no issue with the kids being cold in class. But to be honest, there was never a suggestion of all doors and windows open, even through winter, and even through some pretty harsh lockdowns or restrictions. Just a thought... Uh, but maybe put someone's mind at ease to say none of my daughter's friends have any problem wearing masks. They're wearing them correctly, with good example from the adults around them. Kids are amazing, and they're made of much tougher stuff than any of us think. Stay safe, and thanks for the great show. I look forward to it on my walks after work each day. Thank you for that, Maria. Sent to us to opinion at 96fm.ie from Australia. Let me just con contrast that with this. What is it that PJ doesn't understand? That people who are vaccinated can pass on the virus. Oh, PJ does understand that very clearly. These vaccines are not fully licensed yet. They're not normal vaccines in the sense of having gone through the full observation at large numbers of side effects. That's not true. They've been tested up the wazoo. How can it be a civic duty to take something that has not had the full robust screening for side effects of other vaccines and does not prevent transmission. That's not true either. 
it does not prevent transmission. We hoped it would, then we discovered, sadly, it doesn't. But that's not doesn't mean it's a bad vaccine. On top of that, and this is the bit I don't get, on top of that, all the people who died, who were most sick, who consumed most health resources, were vaccinated. Where did you get that from? Can you prove that? Uh, I think you should retract that comment. No, I have no intention of it. I have no intention of it. Getting, getting vaccinated, if you are able, is your civic duty. I'll print it on a T-shirt if I have to. 1850-715-996. By the way, we have given you all of our foot solutions footsteps. So start thinking now about how many you heard. There were two I gave you and one I didn't. There were two that I told you I was giving you and one that I didn't. I'm making it really easy for you. How many, how many footsteps did you hear today with foot solutions? The number of footsteps, please, and your name. 083 396 9696. Can we just talk? The opinion line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life, and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Simon Murdoch and the best music mix. Weekdays from midday on Cork's 96 FM. After 12 today, you could get your hands on a 400 euro one for all voucher. Handy for the Christmas. Plus Ed, Adele, Dua Lipa, all the big tunes to race you through the day. After the opinion line on Cork's 96 FM. If you watch Mrs. Brown's Boys, and I do, you will know and love the character of Winnie, the next door neighbour, Winnie McGugan. But that winner is played by Eilish O'Carroll, who's Brendan's sister. That was a very dear friend of mine. And for a number of years now, Eilish has also been touring her own show, which is totally different to anything you see on Mrs. Brown. It's her own story in the form of a stage show. It's called Live, Love, Laugh. And she's bringing it to Ballymaloo this weekend. At least I hope you are, Eilish. Things are still going ahead, darling, as we speak. Good morning. <laughs> I, I certainly hope so. Uh, well, you just don't know from a day-to-day basis going to happen. But yes, that's 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 uh, my wish list, and I'm really looking forward to getting back to Cork. Um, you know, as you know, it's my second home, and uh, I just, you know, will never ever Cork will never leave my heart because it's been too good to me over the, the years that I lived in West Cork. So yeah. So other than that, I'm good. How are you? I'm well. I'm well indeed. It was where you premiered the show. I remember going to it at the Cat Club a few years ago, and then you went on to oh, the yeah, Everyman. Oh yeah, that was some years. That was quite a few yeah. years ago, and it has changed. So the basis of it is what Eilish is literally your own story. Well, it literally is my own story, and it's the basis of growing up in in Dublin and uh, good Catholic Ireland in the fifties. Uh, it's really a story. It's a woman's story, and it's it's it could be any woman's story, but it's about reinvention. It's about dealing with obstacles in your life, um, and and literally coming out the other end of it. You know, actually, you know, getting to a point in your life where you go, you know, something. It wasn't all that bad, and and it made me who I am. And, and I have a lot to be grateful for. But it's, it's told in a very, very funny way, as you well know. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, so it's, it's a bit of crack. Um, it's very real. It's very honest. It's very open. Um, yeah. And I, I, I love doing it. Um, you know, and, and these are like words that other people have used about it, you know, that it's inspirational. It's very funny. It can be very sad. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a good, good 
um, hour and 20 minutes entertainment and crack and a bit of a laugh. And God, do we need a laugh at the we moment. do. It's longer than it was because you brought music into it. I did, yes. I wrote a few songs which are very kind of, um, very, what's the word I can say? One one I didn't write, which was an, a, a Nertha kit number, and uh, but it's a very appropriate to the story that I'm telling at that time. And the other two I wrote because, again, I found... Um, the lyrics uh, came to me and I thought, no, that really that really kind of gets the message home. And I'm not mm. trying to give a message, but that, you know, it just mm. rounded it all off. Mm. Um, so, yeah, so it's, a, it's, it's um, upbeat, I hope, <laughs> especially the last song, which is entitled Live, Love, Laugh. Yeah. And, um, and that's what we need to do in our lives. Yeah. Of course, it contains the story that you, you've told many times now of, of yes. two marriages that, that didn't quite work out. And then realizing yes. at the age of fifty, hold on a second, I'm I'm attracted to this someone who's just a friend. I thought she was just a friend. I'm attracted to her, and that whole yeah. change change in your life. And I remember when we talked about you and I at, at that time, the number yes. of people who came out and said, actually, that kind of happened yeah. to me too. Yeah, yeah. It was quite a quite a um, catalyst for a lot of people, I think, um, because I, I realised at 40 that, you know, um, when I when I met this other woman, that things weren't as they should be. And um, and of course, I put myself through hell and high water because of it and because of my conditioning and because of the Ireland we lived in at the time. And I was in the UK at that time and it was very similar. You know, you didn't you didn't. You know, you didn't fly any flags at that particular time in that era. And so it took me 10 years to actually come out to myself, PJ. Mm. And um, and when I did tell my story, that obviously gave people and hopefully inspired a lot of people to say, hey, you know, you don't die from it. Um, it this is OK. I'm OK. Yeah, I am actually OK. And and I think that that was very powerful. Um, in the ten know, years or so since yeah. you first performed the show Eilish, the change yes, in Ireland, the change in Ireland, oh, something else, it, isn't it? It's something else, you know. And and, uh, and I mean, in such a short space of time, um, one would never have believed it. One would never have believed that we would get um, equality, we'd get you know equal marriage and so on and so forth, and that we you know our families would be protected by law. We never believed that was even a possibility, but we kept campaigning for it. And and I don't know, the, the climate changed in Ireland, thank God. Mm. And people realised, you know, that they either had a son or a daughter yeah. or a cousin or an aunt or who, whoever, a member of the family was gay. And what they should be doing is loving them and supporting them rather than judging them. Yeah. And I think that's made a huge difference. Yeah. I, I remember one, I've, I've, I've seen, I don't know how many times at this stage, but I remember being in, in, in McCroom uh, in yes. the little theatre there. And there was this, yes. these two people sitting behind me. And the woman yes. said to her husband, she said, didn't like Winnie at all. What's going on here? It's not like Winnie. Not at all. No, it's totally at all. <laughs> different. This is Eilish. This is Eilish, yeah. It's not, I mean, Winnie does get a mention, obviously. And I'm very grateful um, to have played Winnie and yeah. continue to play Winnie. She's an amazing character. Um but obviously, this is this is when he takes a backstage on this yeah. one, and uh, so this really is about me. Yeah, well, it's great, and I hope to see you at the weekend again um, for I think oh, I, I think so, my eighth PJ. time or something, Eilish. <laughs> yes. <laughs> 
well, you know, that's that, that's that's a really good advert, you know. I mean, <laughs> well, I'm glad to do that. There, right? <laughs> uh, listen, uh, great. I hope to see you at the weekend, darling, and take care of yourself and good luck with it. And listen, PJ, thanks a million. Take care. Cheers. Bye. That's Alicia Carroll. Uh, the show is called Live, Love, Laugh. It's on at the Grain Store in Ballymaloo this weekend coming. As we speak, it is still on. Just a couple of comments on the optimist's guide before I go. Talking to Mark Henry. I'd be less sure, says this call, we're better off now. Undoubtedly, huge steps have been made in medicine, but access to a health service just gets worse. Homelessness is no longer seen as something to be eliminated. Drugs are a part of life. I don't think he's comparing things right at all, either to other countries or other time periods. He does have a chapter in the book, Caller, where he points to the things we have to overcome to continue to get better. And those things are in it. A hundred years ago, we may have had a smaller selection of food, but the food was fresh, without applied chemicals, and sweets were only on special occasions, and fast food was non-existent. We also walked everywhere. People were leith, and they were hardier. I couldn't disagree with that. Or uh, Sorry, I couldn't agree with that more. Just been a crazy, busy morning. Uh, edited by Fiona Corker and produced and researched by Fergal Barry. See you tomorrow, just after nine. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. See mig.ie.